Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Tex McQuilkin is the director of training at Power Athlete and co-host of a top 37 podcast in strength and conditioning. Hey, hey. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a joke. Power Athlete Radio is, if I'm reading this correctly, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. And if I, you know, all joking aside, actually brings a ton of value to all of its listeners. Um, Alex and I both tune in. Tex, John, and Luke are spreading the good word of strength and conditioning in a way that really hadn't been done before. And that's where we first picked up with the guys at Power Athlete. Tex in particular has traveled the world doing what he does best in his own words, and I completely agree, coaching. He coaches athletes and gets them past their performance limitations to help them maximize their ability. And he does the same for coaches. And that takes a special level of consideration to coach coaches. Tex does it as well as anybody. Before he got the Power Athlete, Tex coached collegiately with Georgetown University, He coached at Marymount University, and he did an internship at the University of Texas with the Longhorn football program. He also cites Raf Ruiz, a a former podcast guest, a friend of the project, a really great guy, and one of the best in the business. Tex did an apprenticeship under Raf, studying proper implementation of science-based, performance-driven training systems. Most importantly, however, Tex McQuilkin is just one of the most thoughtful guys in strength and conditioning. He knows the field inside and out, and regularly proves to have his North Star in place. He has his priorities in order. He's looking for athlete development, which is a topic we go into in today's podcast. We jump in today talking about Division Three athletics, so non-scholarship collegiate athletes, and what an incredible platform that specific brand of NCAA athletics provides for people. We'll pick up there. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Like the beauty of Division Three, it's student-led outcomes versus you know, the, the media, the coach who is the, the big profile, the big name. Mm-hmm. And so culture is almost a coach giving everything that the athlete would need for success. But then that culture is them actually taking accountability for it, taking mm-hmm. the bull by the horns. It's their moment and they take the lead rather than waiting to be led. You are going to make mistakes as a leader, but it's your opportunity to find a voice, whether you were a, a captain, whether you are a senior, whether you are a freshman who doesn't give a, a damn about the hierarchy of this whole mm-hmm. thing and just wants to win. It's the opportunity is there for leaders to lead. So coaches, I encourage them to create the environment for mm-hmm. success versus just, you know, uh, yelling at the athlete or you need to do this or telling what they should do. Mm-hmm. Now create the environment for them to make the decision too lead and you'll know you recruited the right guys when they do that's an interesting point the recruitment part were you involved in that when you were oh coaching? yeah it, yeah that i had a lot of guilt it weighed a lot on me i was definitely was not uh built for that and the mm-hmm. biggest challenge that i faced with that was i played the sport two years in high school yeah four years in college so there was i was recruiting kids that had an intuition and a knowledge for the game that I had yet to develop. Yeah. So that was the a challenge for me. And I go to recruiting, and I'm standing next to Notre Dame's coaches. Yeah. Uh, literally, the guy, I can't remember the guys right now, but he's the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame. He started T99 in Texas, which is like the big, or was at least back in my day, the big recruiting showcase for Texas players. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing next to this um, coach, and I'm like, man, that guy's great and taking notes, and then he says, yeah, man, he's great. Yeah, we're getting him. So 
I'm looking for talent at first was looking for talent and realized that, you know, all right, well, division one is going to throw their name around and pick up all these kids. Right. And then the next year I went in the approach of focusing on athleticism. All right. Mm-hmm. Like me, I'm going to find an athlete and then we're going to teach them how to play lacrosse. Right. That also didn't work out. And finally my last, last go around with recruiting, it was just finding the, the intangibles, right? Not the, the showboats, not, um, essentially the kids that were sliding mm-hmm. properly or communicating on the field or, you know, pointing the right directions and, um, hmm. just finding those pieces that, all right, that is a coachable kid. Yeah. And then by this point I had, I had met Wellborn and started implementing a lot of the athleticism development tools that we teach at power athlete. So I was almost working on athleticism by taking these coachable kids yeah. And then leaving it up to our offensive defense coordinators to kind of mold their um, all of it into a team, mm-hmm. a sit, uh, fit into a system. So at Marymount, we ran systems, which I appreciate. I can pick up a system quickly and uh, versus relying on athleticism, at least on the defensive end. Like, you know, if we got caught in a fast break or something that required some athletes, that's where we got in trouble. But sure. six on six, we were good. So I, yeah, I would find kids that were essentially coachable and then I'd do my best to turn them into athletes and then the coaches to lacrosse players. But yeah, man, it's, it, it, it was a lot of competition back then. There were not a lot of as many camps or travel teams as there are now. Sports blown up mm-hmm, since I was coaching, but man, that, that recruiting part, it was the challenge because, you know, it was some kid's fate was in my hands, right? I yeah. decide, all right, that's potential. That's mm-hmm. not potential. And then you see some familiar names when you go and play. Cause I mean, we were, our conference is, is, it was good anyway, the CAC. So we're playing York, we're playing St. Mary's Salisbury. So you see a lot of the familiar names from that mid Atlantic region of, sure. ah, no, I missed on that guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And especially because, it's such a unique thing. And I think in a different life, I, I might've been a recruiter. Um, I might've, you know, and who knows, maybe I still will end up in the, at the college level in some way, who knows, but especially at the division three level, the, like you, the word intangibles is so clear. If, if you have the guy with the fastest 40 and, and he's an all American already, it's like, it's like a stock. It's like, well, by the time that's out, you've missed it. That's mm-hmm. not the guy like Notre Dame's on him. It's over. Um, it, but it's looking for those. What what a tough thing to sort of measure. And I love that you took the initiative. And I'll tell you what I think maps on so well to this idea: the fact that you and your friends weren't gonna, like you said, as juniors, let someone else dictate uh, the rest of your athletic career is inspiring to me. I'm, I mean that very sincerely. We think about it at our place all the time. Um, Nutria is 4,100 people. Our lacrosse team, both of them, guys and girls, compete for a state championship every year. And we cut people who are like legitimate athletes, completely legitimate. And I don't say that because I like them and I see them in the weight room. They can run, they can move, they can change direction. They're strong. They're not tiny, whatever. Um, So the club system around here has grown significantly. Mm -hmm. And just like you, like finally, I think, but probably wasn't quite the same way, but finally uh, smaller school coaches as the sport continues to move West and, and infiltrate the Midwest at the college level, they're able to recruit the club systems as well. You know, the, the near misses for the team that won a state championship, like that's probably a pretty legitimate athlete right there. Could we cultivate them? Do they have the qualities that you mentioned? So 
yeah, I can imagine that'd be a tough part of the part of the gig though, which puts a lot more on you as um, the developer of of athleticism though too. I mean, look at Stevenson. They uh, so they had some amazing athletes, but those guys were like five five. Really? And yeah, they could turn on a dime. So they weren't getting the looks, but then hey, you put a ball in their hand, it doesn't they matter. Can play. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's it's so, and, and there's always a reason. And I, we, I think it, this might be a, a good opportunity to open up sort of the stigma of D3. Uh, our, the guy, Ben Conley, that we just mentioned, well, he is 6'3", 215, and can fire a shot from, what, 30 yards? I mean, the, he's a monster. He really is. And he had a pretty good knee injury his junior year that had to be like operated on. So for whatever reason, he missed out on that. Now, I don't think he really missed out because he's at an elite academic institution with a shot at a national championship every year. So it's, he didn't mm-hmm. miss out in that way. Um, but that's why a guy with a Division One body is at a Division Three school. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about what you think about just the name Division Three Because I'll tell you a quick anecdote and then I'll let you pick up. We've got a kid who didn't play for us, and I, I will definitely not name names at this point, didn't really play for us, but is convinced that that uh, like D1 is the place to be. So I just heard him the other day talking about how he was going to a D1 junior college. I'm like, what the, what does that even mean? What are you talking about, D1 junior? Like, you mean he didn't get any scholarship offers, the walk-on opportunities fell through, so you're going to a junior college to like potentially get to a better spot, whatever, financially, whatever totally legitimate but had to tag it with like the d1 because there's you know it's, it's just nonsense it's sales that is he's got the wrong mindset no doubt so he's chasing a jersey he's chasing a name and that name is probably going to represent him or be a part of his identity the rest of his life if he makes it right what i would even argue that that if he has that mindset he probably won't yeah i won't yeah i I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he finds a, an opportunity and gets a shot, but he, he's going at it the wrong way. If he had the mindset, right, of uh, let's just use the, the character of Rudy Rudiger, right? He's going to a JUCO for the opportunity to go to Notre Dame, Right. period. That's my goal. So it's not a, oh, he's going to a Division One JUCO just for the chance to get in. No, he's, he's established a goal in which he's – taking the steps necessary mm-hmm. to accomplish that goal. And if mm-hmm. it's two years on Syracuse or two years at uh, a different school, man, awesome. But he's just going JUCO Division One parentheses, right, uh, right, right. to take anybody. I, I, don't, I don't feel that's necessarily the right approach. And then at that point, what, what is not good enough Division One? Right. You got Mercer, You got Mercer College in Georgia. That's mm-hmm. Division One. Sure. So is that not – not good enough. What about Jacksonville down in Florida? Mm-hmm. So, or Richmond, like right. not knocking any of those guys. Richmond's in in Jacksonville. They compete. Yeah. yeah so yeah, no doubt. It's just not a big name. It, it, that's totally true. And and uh, I say this all the time because I I very proudly went to Knox College for undergrad and loved my experience there as a student athlete. I love so many of the people there still. Um, I've I was down there. Not long ago, uh, what like two weeks ago? I just—it's a fantastic place. They—they they do it right, and it, it occurred to me so regularly. And you—you you almost have to fight against. I, I remember doing it as a leader. Um, I do it still, sort of like an institutional cynicism of like, it's like 
you know, yeah, but we're not on TV sort of mindset. Like, sure, I'll take this seriously, but how seriously do you really want me to take it because we're not on TV? You can work that thing up the ladder for ages. So we're at Knox College, we're not on TV. Um, we're at Knox College and we're not Mount Union. You know what I mean? As far as Division Three <laughs> football powers go. Fine, fair enough. But if you made it to Mount Union, couldn't then you all of a sudden go to, yeah, but we're not like uh, a Division One program. Fine. But again, if you're at, uh, you know, when you say Division One, there's just tiers to everything. Sure, we're at Division One, but we're at Bowling Green and we didn't make a bowl last year. You know what I mean? It's not like we're at Notre Dame. And if you're at Notre Dame, it's not like you're at Alabama. And if you're at Alabama, like, do you make it onto the pros? It's just an unending like trajectory of inadequacy yeah, but, if you're only yeah. faced if you only talk about like the names right if it's if that's all it's about and it's yeah and unfortunate somebody said something and he took on that that mindset of performance and athletics versus taking his performance into his own hands yeah and realizing that i mean athletics there is a life beyond it so what can you make out of that small competitive window mm-hmm. that you have that's what the attention and focus should be yeah no doubt and and even I, I totally agree and then even on a more rudimentary level it's like do you like football do you like lacrosse <laughs> you know what i mean like if you want to extend your career four more years go for it um if that's at the heart of what you're doing like yours it's like i from from high school on okay i'm not on this varsity team right now great but i love lacrosse and i'm gonna and i got even maybe a little with the assistance of a chip on my shoulder, I'm going to make this opportunity happen for myself and I'm enjoying it. I'm going to extend it four more years. Like mm-hmm. th- that feels like it's rooted in the right motivation. The motive is true. You, you, we've, I think we talked about this at one point. I, I definitely speak of it regularly. It's the difference between hype and motivation. Like motivation in- includes inherently providing a motive to do something, identifying that motive. Like you mentioned with Rudy, uh, what is the, what is the motive and your behaviors map onto that? Um, that's, I think where we got to start doing right by kids and installing that logic early, right? It's not about going to Notre Dame necessarily, no offense to Rudy, but, um, or, or maybe for him it was, and his behaviors mapped onto it perfectly. That's fine too. Uh, but I think if we could, if we could do a better job as coaches of instilling, like you said, the, a desire to constantly improve, a desire to be around a team or, or really, um, when you're in that atmosphere, highlight it. I got to go on a, um, I got a rant here, man. I'm sorry, but uh, there, like, we see, we do a lot of consulting for teams and even athletic departments now, which has really been a, a very fun thing. In the desire to incentivize, like, say, like a football program, people come up with these ideas, like, let's frame all the jerseys of our our Division One kids, okay, and that's feeding right back into this. And the recognition, I say it with patience, you know, and I say it with understanding, like, okay. That makes sense. Those kids have done something that very few are able to do, so highlight them. I'm cool with that. But what is your program about? Is it about receiving a college scholarship or is it about showing up to work every day and committing to your team and your sports and and the community, like you say, the culture of leadership? Is it about that? If so, then maybe we need to incentivize differently. Because like, why does the kid who um, walks on at University of Illinois right? Because he was naturally gifted. And I'm just coming up with a hypothetical scenario. Why is that kid more valuable to our program than the kid who busted his ass for four years for a shot at the field? And ultimately then like Denison gave him a shot to go play at the division three level and busted his ass and was a captain of that team. Why is that kid based on the, you know, the things that we say are important to our program? 
why wouldn't his jersey be on the wall in just the same way? Because it's, it, it's all about, it's like it, you're creating feedback loops always. And if the only way to be right is to be a Division One guy, I think that's probably a faulty model. I, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And this is one of the, I guess, uh, faults I saw. I took an internship with University of Texas football. And at the time, so this is two head coaches ago. So whole new coaching staff. And I have not seen the new weight room. But the old weight room had all the pros that have ever rocked the like the Longhorn white and the burn orange uniforms plastered all over the wall. Yeah. In their one side college uniforms and the other side, their their professional jerseys. Hmm. Uh, just, you know, the, you know, the big head stickers. Yeah. Just imagine those. But you had 100 former Longhorns up there. And that was the a lot of the motivation that the coaching sure. staff uses pointing up. I didn't like that as a, a strength and conditioning coach, as a mm-hmm. a athleticism teacher, because the coach didn't do a lot of that. They didn't develop those guys. Right. Right. Vince Young came in. Right. Right. Dominating every aspect of Texas high school football. Right. Then came in, and I don't I wasn't there. I didn't coach Vince Young, but he went on to win a national championship and then rookie deer in the NFL. They didn't develop that young man, right? Mm-hmm. Show and post the, the, the walk on yeah. that you developed yes. over four years and got him on the field. Mm-hmm. Show the kid that gave everything that he had to then just earn a scholarship on the team. Yeah. John Wellborn tells a story of Scott Vegeta, a Cal Berkeley sure. teammate and Scott walked on at Cal so John was on scholarship, played with Tony Gonzalez there and um, a couple other pros. But Fujita was a great story because he was a walk-on at Cal. Mm-hmm. Eventually, over Todd Rice, John's college strength coach, developed, earned his scholarship, and then went on to succeed and get some big money in the NFL and play yeah. for 10 years. So that was a athlete that was developed. Mm-hmm. That's what a coach should be discussing versus the, the, um, the like, the, the stories of the Tony G, right, who could have played on Cal basketball as well. Sure. And then go pro. So it's a, it's a perspective that's also poisoning the coaching culture hmm. at all levels. There's this idea, if you have any interest, there's a the researcher out there, Tina Grotzer. She studies something called complex causality. And uh, I bring it up in part because I'm reading your book right now, but also she refers to this idea like too often we think of things in this sort of linear causal relationship. If I do this, this is the outcome. But that's mm-hmm. never how cultures work ever. It's it's complex relational causality over and over again. And there's just like thousands of touch points across the course of a season. All of this sorts of sort of builds into whatever your culture and their thereafter outcomes might be. So it seems, and again, when we talk to coaches about this, they're always I've yet to experience something where this is wrong, but every time I've experienced it, it's, it's super well-intended. They, they want to motivate their kids. They want to, uh, they want them to achieve at a high level, reach for the stars type idea. And that is like the heart of that, I think is probably okay, but the operations are faulty when you look at it and look at it in this more sort of um, complex causal relationship. It seems like the right idea to highlight these NFL pros. That seems kind of one-to-one right. But like you said, you're not going to – what you've done really is you've highlighted your ability to recruit, if nothing else. 
Um, mm-hmm. And from our perspective, it's just so much more complicated than that. Those guys win a national championship in part because of Vince Young's play at USC running down the right, scrambling down the right sideline. That's fine. But like at least half of that team was, was blocking. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. I would love to hear about like the freaking right tackle who was kind of okay. Somebody went down with an injury. He stepped up and played, but had been busting his ass for three years and was therefore able to hold off the USC DN just long enough for Vince Young to scoot around the outside. Like these are the, that's sort of the complexity of, especially a sport like football, where there are 11 individual components operating as one system um, to like for best possible outcome. That is one part of what we try to give to coaches um, when we talk to them. And I think it probably, it's just reflected so well in the feedback loops we give to people. <clears throat> if that makes, does that make sense at all? Yeah. We could go all day on yeah. this, but like it, it's, it, and it's the non-obvious stuff. And that's why I think, and it's why you guys have had so much success. It's why I think the weight room is the ultimate differentiator. And when we first started the good athlete project, it, it didn't, I knew this, that that was going to be at the heart of it player development and all that kind of stuff. But we were very interested in all sports and we still are. But now that we've been doing it for a little while, it's very clear to me that there are very few other places that are, that are as pure as what people like you and, and we try to do for nine months a year. Okay. The off season four times over, you have the ability to say like, I don't freaking care who the starting quarterback is. I don't care whose name was in the mm-hmm. paper. We are going to develop you the best we can. We're going to enhance the culture of this team. We're going to highlight what's actually important um, and and hopefully put something on the field at the back end. And I'm not sure people recognize that um, as often as they should. Is, is that Do you think that's fair? Uh, I 100% agree. And it's another observation that's in line with the observation I had with sport coaches. There's a some coaches that try to just force athletes and kids into a system, a style of play. And then there's other coaches that, all right, these are the athletes I got, right? I'm going to develop different plays or an approach to the game, a style based off their abilities of what I have this year of what came in, what recruited and who's not injured. Right. So it's such a different approach Right. And it, it certainly is with recruiting, because if you're a system guy, you have to right. find people. And this this goes to uh, a, a disgruntled. It's funny. I had a girlfriend in college that played lacrosse at Georgetown, and then I ended up working for her sport coach later on. But she quit her senior year. She was hands down the best athlete. If this is biased, but sure. a very good athlete mm-hmm. on the team. If there was a busted play or something, she was attacking could just make something of it. Yeah. But it was a system approach to offense. Mm -hmm. So by, even though she scored and made something out of nothing, it violated the system and she ended up on the bench. So Mm -hmm. she didn't get along with the coach. And then I, I really got to understanding of the difference between athleticism and system. Cause I would work with the, the women's lacrosse team and see these athletes and men just in, in training. You're like, wow, this, this kid's going to crush it. Yeah. And then you go and observe the games and you're like, man, I don't understand. Why is she not in there? Mm-hmm. So kind of, uh, just really helps helped me kind of, man, understand grasp training needs and how to communicate with sport coaches because of a lot of, uh, failures communicating with that sport coach. Um, 
I yeah, I lost ended up losing that team by some miss um just I did didn't get along or didn't find a lot of the stuff they wanted to do in training. Yeah. Uh, appropriate so I lost the team unfortunately but sure. um, you know systems yeah. athleticism what does the kid need to succeed individually maybe it is you know switching that athlete to defense which more freedom is allowed hmm. right sure than forcing them into that system or man it, it it's a lot but as long as a sport coach is taking all these different things into consideration yeah and classic debate is also Tebow at quarterback, man. There you go. Yeah, that's a good example. Winning him, his coach, and I can't remember the offensive coordinator's name off the top of my head, but he was a uh, management forced Tebow into his starting role. He developed an uh, an offense around the talents. Mm-hmm. They go on, they win a playoff game. Yeah, right. Then he goes into a system at mm-hmm. the the Jets and the Patriots, and not is not Doesn't, successful. Right, right, and it's it's interesting because it's like. It also makes sense that there would be a give and take, right? Especially once you get to those levels, there's there's a give and take, right? Like there's um, you can o- you only have so much cognitive capacity, and if you have to reevaluate everything every year for every person, that'd be that's tough. But to to have an eye out on like where could we adjust and in order to highlight this person, that seems necessary. And for for people who tuned in to hear about D three athletics, um, I think the 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 obvious transfer there is I, I think that is hap or should be happening probably at Division Three athletics all mm-hmm. the time right because like if you get a shot at a Tebow caliber athlete but you're like ah but we're a drop back you know this is what we've done in the years past um, I think you probably say screw it uh, we'll keep the you know the nomenclature that we use in the development of these plays right we're um, but we've got to we've got to add a few things to highlight this kid's ability. At the Division Three level, I, I feel like that is an absolute necessity. A hundred percent, and yeah. you can't rely at Division Three. You can't rely on athleticism yeah. to win games. Right, it's, right. It's got to be fundamentals. Every once in a while, maybe one of those kids falls in your lap by chance. Sure, but you can. You still have to rely on the the fundamentals of each and every sport. Yeah, to have success, and I appreciate that because it forced me to learn. Yeah, the the sport. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's true. And and I also want to throw this out there for people who um, don't know it. Like there's some really, really talented athletes at the Division Three level who maybe just came on late, hypothetically. If you miss the recruiting mm-hmm. game, like we've got a kid right now. He's at 15 years old. He was 6'6", 265 and pancaking people on varsity. He's the number two recruit in the state and people know about him. But some of his peers have never shaved a day in their lives. Yeah, you know what I mean? They they they're not going to hit stride until maybe senior year, you know, just fit developmentally. Um I I I am sure of this and I've got some names in mind. I won't say them out loud, but some of these kids are going to end up at Division 3 schools and they're going to star. They're going to be captains of those teams. They're going to lead their team to potentially a better place. It it's an encouraging thing. You go to certain places like this, you know, the like the kid we were talking about earlier, and you feel like there's only one way to make it, and it is um, with some sort of name recognition. If you just take out, just take out D3, just say I'm going to play NCAA college football, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do it the best I can, I'm, and I'm looking for the right opportunity that's going to enhance my or expose my skill set or allow me to shine or whatever. Um, I think that's where people need to be leaning. Yeah, and I, I guess too, 
the, the focusing on division three. So I got some things that I, I try to preach, teach and encourage, whether it's two coaches that are coaching D three or, you know, not feeling good about it. Mm-hmm. The, and athletes that may not have the perception that we have and appreciation yeah. for that level. So what, what an athlete will get at division three level, first and foremost is, is individuality. Yeah. So they, their coaches, their sport coaches, their strength coaches, they are going to spend time and invest with you as an individual because they have to. The team mm-hmm. needs you. Yep. So whether you are a freshman or a kid that hasn't played a down until your senior year or seen the court until your senior year, your time will come and yep. your team is going to lean on you. They will need you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get individual attention to develop a skill set and process in everything that will get neglected and not appreciated. You won't be appreciated as a walk-on. Definitely not. Right. Um, then specificity, your skills – so your individual techniques and things will get attention, but then your specific ability, skills, coach is going to find a way to get you on the field, the court. Mm-hmm. So each one of us is a unique person. We have things that we're good at, right? So the beauty of Division Three, we're relying on each and every single one of us, and a coach will find a way to get your knack, your quirk, your one thing that you do well, and then use it against another team. Right. So that is the the value, right? The coaches have to rely on you and lean on you. Mm-hmm. So they're going to find a way to use your specific talents. Mm-hmm. And then I mentioned earlier the the fundamentals, the foundations of all yeah. sport, the intangibles. You are, are going to beat these to death in your four years of development mm-hmm. until it just becomes a part of you. Yeah. And this is a an argument that I start to use with strength coaches who are teaching high school or teaching college or just getting into this is what is the weight room? We're teaching them to squat, step, and lunge. We're overloading. Those are the fundamental movements of the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Whether we're football, volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, we're going to start each and every season with the fundamentals of passing, of catching, of foot position on, on defense, right? But then the weight room is one step below that. So your training is the opportunity to accelerate your development development of your sport fundamentals. Yep. So that's what how we view movement, and that's how we really start to um, like ex- unlock athletic potential is by focusing on the fundamentals of the fundamentals, the foundational movements. Yeah. Those are we at Power Athlete we call them primal movements: mm-hmm. squat, step, lunge, push, pull. So those are the value that you're going to get as an athlete and beyond. So focusing on three things that you're going to take away from sport. Yeah. Maybe you will never even know you had these, but the first is differentiation. Hmm. You're going to go into division three expecting, Oh, I'm going to be a badass, but you're going to learn that. Yes, there are other athletes on the team. There are people that are going to work infinitely harder than you Hmm. and not be as good as you or, you're going to realize that there's people out there that believe every single rep that they do is going to take them to the national championship. Mm-hmm. Whether it's D3, D2, D1, it doesn't matter. They are going to give everything that they have. And then there's you. And you can decide to to coast, to have a good time, right? Yeah. This doesn't quote-unquote matter. Or you can 
just to accept your circumstances and man and, and, and roll with the tide. And when you get every athlete, whether they are going to play or not, believing that every single rep is going to take them somewhere, that, that is golden. Next is, is scaffolding. Hmm. So think of these as the, the structure, because you got to go to class, right? You're still paying to go to school. You got to go to class. You also got to go to practice. You also got to do your homework. You also got to hit road games. So it creates a necessary, you have to take ownership for developing a structure and accountability for your, for your teammates, for your coaches, for your parents who are often fitting the bill here, right? Mm -hmm. So it's creating all these different structures around you that you may not know are happening, but are going to lead to success beyond the, the four years that you're there. And the, fi the final piece I want to highlight is student-led outcomes or athlete-led outcomes. Yeah. Coaches put the athletes in place for them to drive the bus, to be the decision makers, to decide how it's going to be. That's the beauty, right? The coach yeah. is not – and I guess Dabo Sweeney, if we want to go back to D1, does an amazing job of this, right? He's not taking, taking claim. He's not, um, sure. he's not as hard-nosed as, as Saban, right? But mm -hmm. he is a great coach. Great coaches can be at any level, mm -hmm. but they should do everything in their power to put the pieces in place in the environment for then the students to take charge and lead. That, I mean, that's empowerment. Yeah, like no doubt. And I think I think you're right. I think uh, it's probably happening in certain ways at all levels. But um, what you just outlined, I think the likelihood of that happening is is higher at the non-scholarship level. Um, based on all the, a lot of the things that we've talked about, the incentives are different. Um, you know, the, the recruiting pool is different. So yeah, when it goes well, I think you're exactly right. They highlight all those things. Yeah. That, just reflecting another thing that made me angry in like, uh, the division one strength circles, I had a coach tell me in an interview that a division three, let's see, three years at division three is equal to one year. You want in, in, and he, from, from he a strength clearly, perspective, uh, yes. Yeah. From a strength perspective, but that's that where his background was coming from, and I I could not disagree more mm -hmm. because you are actually coaching, you are developing them. They are not as in tune with their bodies, so it requires you to be more in tune yeah. with their bodies than they are. Put them in a position to take them where they can't take themselves. That is Division Three, and also underfunded. Also, it's one person, one strength coach for all 20 teams. Right. So, and you know, you're 13 plus hours a day. You can't tell me that three years work an infinite number of hours is yeah. more valuable than just holding a clipboard for one. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, you're exactly right. And I wonder, so for, for those listening, I think there's one angle to this discussion that I always want to get across, which is you are not too good for any tier of athletics. If you are a football player, go play football, find the right fit, um, scholarship or not. Because honestly, like that's the real differentiator between division one and kind of everything else is, are you going to get your education paid for? Everything else is like, whatever. Um, so that's from the athlete perspective. I certainly encourage people to go um, play division three football. Now you're tapping on something that is probably a growing market too of smaller colleges recognizing that a full-time um, strength and conditioning coordinator, strength performance, whatever you want to name it, is is necessary. 
And especially mm-hmm. probably for the reasons that we've mentioned, like you are not, you're not going to get the four, four kid. Uh, you're going to have to develop athleticism within a highly dedicated group of young people who wants to come to your college or university um, and give you all they've got. We've got to maximize what, what they've got. Um, so at that small college level, anyone who's uh, any coaches who are considering coaching at the college level, like I, I totally agree with you. Division three or a, sm- a smaller non-scholarship school just in general might be the perfect learning platform for an early coach. It, it, because like you said, it, more often than not, it's you. Maybe it's you mm-hmm. and an intern or two. Maybe it's you and a GA or, or you and um, someone who's taking like a strength cra- class for credit. But you hold the reins. Um, development is in your hands. And these are college athletes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, um, you, you mentioned anger. And I don't want to be like, I don't want to be fueled by anger. But it does piss me off. Like the stigma around it is is just nonsense if you look what you're actually trying what you're actually trying to do like maximize human potential through strength and conditioning great this is a perfect platform for you how about uh accelerate your career by get by really gaining understanding fast like division three might be the perfect spot yeah it's i mean if you want to learn how to coach whether it's sport or strength or even speed mm-hmm. division three is a great opportunity yeah the stakes are not as high you're allowed to make mistakes and it won't be as detrimental because the kids' scholarships are not on the line. And also, they want they want to be coached, mm-hmm. right? They were not, um, I guess, given stigmas as high school athletes that made them believe they're better than they are, right? They're in this level of esteem that allows them to be coachable. From the most part, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that right. are fall out of this but at the same time if if you want to learn how to coach and there's a lot of guys running great programs ed smith out of lynch university of lynchburg yep is crushing it so there's a lot of guys that embrace this and realize man i could get a greater connection to my athletes i'm not going to play the polo game it's going to be about coaching and then yeah that impact true empowerment i wonder what you think about this we have a we have an eight person strength staff at our place um, seven of them are not are part time. All of those seven, we are hoping to move on to another gig someday. And and one thing that we ask is just that people kind of reflect on what they think they might be capable of and what it is that they want to do. And when people say things like "I want to be a Division One strength coach," we always have to come back to the question of why. Like, why do you want to become a Division One strength coach? Um, if you have a thoughtful person, you might get someone to say. Um, I want to be a division one strength coach because I think that's where I can make the greatest impact and I want to impact the greatest positively impact the greatest number of people. Okay. That's fair. But oftentimes they just can't answer that question. They just feel like that's the pinnacle of their career. It's sort of, it's like a sort of self validation. If I can be on the staff at Baylor, then, you know, doesn't that mean more than being the head guy at Lynchburg? Um, if you really look closely at it, I, my personal take would be no. Right, unless your goal, like in your Rudy scenario, is to be on the staff at Baylor. Yeah, I would say go, go do an internship at yeah. a big, big five school, and if if you feel that's still your grind, man, yeah. be prepared to to grind. Literally, you and don't plan on having a family because right. you can't afford it. So it's a uh, man, it's real, and it the the position, the profession, all of it, it's undervalued. Yeah. And be wary of the lots of traps that are in place. Um, and, and I speak on that for another hour, but um, 
man, if you're in coaching to coach and take athletes where they cannot take themselves, hmm. there's a lot of different opportunities out there. Look at them all. And what is what motivates you and just to to put in the time, the effort, the hours, the education. Yeah. If your goal is the one, you have yeah. master's degree now is required for an internship. Yeah. So no wild. Yeah. Get ready for that. Well, and you mentioned it too. So like we have a tagline, it's like chase the work you're willing to do. And and it's like it, people say chase your passion. I think passion is fleeting. Even in like a relationship, you cannot maintain a certain sort of passion for the duration of your career. Eventually, you've got to chase the work that you're willing to do. And some days it's not going to be super fun. And if what you're chasing or, or what you, you know, the, the kind of target is the, the name, you know, if I want to be a division one strength coach or a division one athlete, that's not going to get you out of bed at 4.30 a.m. to make it to morning running. Right, that that will go fall away fast, and now the the career that you've set up for yourself, I, I mean, burnout would be massive. Which actually leads me, this is a, here, you ready for this question? Well, power athlete goes away tomorrow. W where do you land? Either in academics to go back to school with the purpose of changing the the universe, had the university style of teaching strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many you know, bachelor's degree or even master's degree coaches that are run into that still can't coach. Hmm. So find the the missing components, but still have the credentials, the letters to, behind my name to battle still a lot of those uh, critics out there, but still go back into the lower level of academia to yeah. help set kids up for success, whether they want to become physical therapists mm -hmm. with that degree whether they want to go on and coach sport with that degree or strength and conditioning, but just bring the attention back to movement, mm -hmm. right? Versus, and nothing wrong with a biology 101 approach to strength, yeah. still important, but at the same time, the fundamentals, you still need to teach a person how to move. Yeah. So that'd be one route. Uh, two, Marymount University now has a strength coach. Um, try to just strong arm him out of his position. Just kidding. But, um, yeah, no, or, or sport. So either a lower level or, uh, I had a two year stop at a private high school in Washington, DC. And a lot of those kids are now, uh, division one, like Yale's goalie, uh, Jack star was one of those kids. Oh, wow. So it's fun to see them go have fun again on the field, despite yeah. of the high level of academics. So Either way, it's it's teaching, it's coaching these uh, these components that we still teach and coach chip power athlete. Yeah. Just finding a different way or a different audience. Yeah. But still, I guess one of the decisions that I made early on was if I'm coaching a team, I'm limited to the team. Mm -hmm. Whether it's 40 girls on rowing, um, whether it's uh, you know this many people on the lacrosse team, mm -hmm. I'm limited to the amount of kids that are enrolled, but a position like power athlete, then now we have over a hundred block one coaches sure. in our online methodology course. We've got 600 people, the opportunity to teach and connect with them to them to go out and teach and connect yeah. with 40 plus of their athletes or however many on their lifetime. Yeah. And then that is more meaningful to me, but it's still teaching movement and putting Coaches now in a position to take athletes where they can't take themselves versus the yeah. athlete. 
themselves. Yeah. So I guess here's what I'm hearing. Like, first of all, yeah, I think, I think you'd be perfectly suited for that. I think, I think you would have an ability to um, probably teach at a professor type, well, learn and then ultimately teach at a professor type level. What if you could have like a class and be the head strength coach coach. And whenever there were conflicts, you've got a small team of interns or people, but it also feels like, like that's one sort of dream scenario, but you're doing that to an extent already, which is good. That's kind of a cool thing to be able to say. If power athlete went away, here's where you'd be, but you're doing something similar enough to that at power athlete. That's, mm-hmm. that means that's a pretty good place to be professionally. Yeah. And I could, so I was an adjunct professor at Marymount as well. when I was at Georgetown, so with my, I do have a master's degree. I can go teach at a smaller mm-hmm. university or a college. So I could do that, but still a lot of haters out there I'd like to go after. And I guess <laughs> a note from a coach I had a long time ago is you're, and I wrote this down because it popped in my head. Yeah. Is you're going to be, rem- you're going to be remembered for what you're not supposed to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I really love that because me going in my freshman year of lacrosse, I was paired with the number one recruit. Our coach had this insane system where he like would pair up number one with number 15 Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth down the line for our recruiting classes to just help motivate and the the kid that was number one he fizzled out after a year Hmm. and uh, and you know I wasn't supposed to do anything but then team captain into coach and you know then division one coach and now power athlete and then it's um not supposed to do any of this but fuck it i think that so that's man so you're in the perfect business because that's the storyline that we would want to create for people and and the and the very real truth is there are so many incredible coaches out there it's also really freaking hard to analyze a 17 year old and be able to tell you where that kid's going to end up right because so much of what got you to where you are and where and and i will make this assumption like you're not done you're there are there is a lot for you still to do so much of what's going to get you to that place, like, is unquantifiable. There's no number mm-hmm. for it. We just we we don't have complicated like the, the the measurement tools that we have at our disposable disposal cannot measure the things that are going to take you to the next level of you that have gotten you to this point and will take you on to the next level. That is why um, that like when coaching is done well, it's so impressive from from my perspective. Like you said, anyone could hang you know. Uh, who was I talking to? It was either, it might've been Raph or no, it was Jim Kilbasa, your guy, you know, that you guys have been, uh, both, talking. both my guys. Those Raph are both your guys. My, That's right. Yeah. Mentor. Uh, it, it, for sure. And, and, and we were talking about like, so, uh, Jim just got done with his draft, the most recent draft class. And, um, it's like, uh, like our job is not, you know, if you've got a first round draft pick, that means that you recruited well for your draft prep camp. If that makes sense, like you probably mm-hmm. didn't make that person a first round draft pick. No, you know, no offense to the work that these guys are doing. It's all, it's necessary work. But what's more impressive is, okay, that guy was running a five one. He just cracked four nine and now people are, are looking at him. You know what I mean? It, depending on position, of course, but um, the, the development is, is what matters most. And that's all to say that the ones who are doing it well, that's why we are so encouraged and impressed by that. And, um, you guys are doing it well. And this is, this is uh, a necessary comment because I hope more people will recognize and then emulate that. Like we are, it's development. 
It's not top end goal. It's not division one school or professional contract. It's development. And if you can do that well, not only are you setting people up for, you know, incredible things, but the satisfaction that comes with that is so much better. Like coaches who lean on the three guys they sent to the NFL, there's a shallowness to that that is the same as the, the kid who went to play division one football, but, but doesn't even like football that much anymore. Just wanted to, you know, wear the jersey. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, ho- I hope I hope people will uh, turn their eyes toward people like you, Raph, Jim, and all the ones out there doing it well. We got quick hitters from Alex. Are you ready for this? Yes. I like it. What was your first job? My first job, um, not a bar back. I don't know what you call it, food runner maybe? So at a place called Black Eyed Peas, it's like a poor man's chilies. <laughs> but um, yeah, big, big time in Katy. And basically, summer job, working at a chained-up restaurant. What does a successful day look like for you? Um, beating Luke Summers in spike ball. <laughs> yep. Which is not the case today. I got Ooh. crushed. Um, but no, we, we train at 6 a.m., hit, uh, hit some heavy weights, and we're on a loose grindstone so power athlete grindstone program. I love to throw sprints in there. Just it's the only thing that helps make me feel right. It's the best stretch that you can get. And I don't want to lose what little speed I have. So uh, 6 a.m. training from there. Luke and I roll down to eat breakfast in our office and it's hit the ground running from there. And perfect day would be just be podcasting all day and not answering emails, but usually not the case. Uh, we coach up on our train heroic so encourage athletes to to post videos because a lot of our clientele are dudes just hitting training alone in their garage so we try to coach them up because they they don't have a a coach in hand man so a lot of coaching a lot of teaching and perfect day also writing so aim to try to write as much as i can and we're going to make a an, an article out of this D3 deal I got, specificity, individuality, foundational movement, differentiation, scaffolding, and student-led outcomes. But um, yeah, man, just writing, connecting with people, coaching, and of course, got to start off training. And spike ball. And spike ball. Can't forget synonymous. <laughs> I'm interested in when was the last time that you laughed so hard that you cried and oh. what caused that? Man, um, let's see, uh, a story. So Luke's an amazing storyteller and every single one of his friends as well. So the fortunate opportunity to hang out a lot with these guys, but the story that had me in literally stitches, his buddy tried to get on a health kick. So went almond butter from Costco and he also went rafting in a river. And so he ended up like like, just... Yeah, he ended up getting sick, so like coming out of both ends, and he's like, oh, man, I must have swallowed some river water. So he's sick for two straight weeks, and every single morning he's eating almond butter with yogurt or almond butter on like rice cakes and just telling everyone in his office how healthy this this food is. So, so he's still sick two weeks later. And he's blaming it on swallowing river water and just can't figure it out. And he's ignoring all these emails he's getting from Costco 
for an E. coli breakout in the almond butter. Oh, no. So he's just like, why does Costco keep emailing me? And he's deleting them and just coming out of both ends for two straight weeks. Oh, God. And then finally they, they had to call him to warn him that his almond butter had E. coli. And he, he, oh, he finished the whole thing. <laughs> Just uh, it's still, still hilarious. <laughs> but it, oh disgusting. man, the dude putting putting you in his shoes and going day by day for two weeks, it's amazing. And how his appeal to people of how healthy this is, and he's dying inside. Well, to be fair, he probably lost a ton of weight. Uh, yeah, yeah. great way to lose LBs. That's right. What is your fondest Division three sports memory? Oh man, I got a lot. This, uh, you may have to edit this, but it is awesome. So senior year, and again, I said we had our division one goalie by chance and we formed a defense around him. So finally by our, our, all of our senior year, we had six starters that played together for four years. We were good. So finally my senior year, we were four and one, only lost coming to Salisbury where we were up in the first quarter. So we stood a chance, but we played, I, I can't remember if this was before or after Salisbury, but we played a school, Hampton, Sydney, who's an all boys school in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. Yep. And, um, I guess we lost some key recruits to them. I don't know how, cause we were like in the heart of DC and we have girls at our school. But, um, so we were playing Hampton, Sydney at home. And they, there's a rule, like a literal rule in lacrosse. You warm up on your side of the 50-yard line. Do not cross it. So we were getting dressed on the sideline after our little throw around. You know, you get 10, 15 minutes just to put your headphones in and pass around with your your bros. So finally, it's gear up time to put the the pads and the jerseys on. And so we're on our sideline. And Hampton, Sydney is done with their throw around. And they're going to take their formal warm-up lap around their half so they took it starting from the box like the 50 yard line on the the sideline side and lacrosse both teams are on the same sideline so 50 yard line they're all hooting and hollering and start to go around their goal and then they're coming around so probably 40 guys lines of two so two long lines of 20 just hooting and hollering and they are approaching the other side of the 50 and they keep on running so they go past the 50-yard line, and now they're coming in, and our goalies have to stop their warm-up because you don't want to shoot on these kids like running behind the goal during their warm-up. Of course, one of them gets hit. We're in trouble even though they're violating the rules. So kids are going around. Our goalies got to stop, and I'm sitting here like I can't believe this. This is, the, this is insult, all right, boiling. And so they're now approaching our sideline. We're all getting dressed. And right next to me is this freshman who had never played a minute of one second at all on the, the team. So this kid, I forget where he's from. He uh, just a big, like six foot two black kid. He did not play one single minute, but he was a phenomenal like hockey player. So just in practice, he was our goon. So this kid is getting dressed next to me on the sideline and these guys start approaching us and they're all loud and trying to be rowdy, trying to intimidate us. And so you had this kid that just, he didn't give a damn about them. And he was wearing a shirt, cut off sleeves, 
He was in his boxer shorts, and as they approached him, he just stood there and stared at him. His shirt was a dog mounting another dog that said, every dog has its day. And as soon as every single one of these private school boys from middle of nowhere, Virginia, passed him, they just zipped it because they finally saw who the hell they were about to deal with, even though he didn't play. Like, he was the first guy off the bus for us. So they all shut up as they passed him. And from that moment, I knew we, we freaking got these guys. They were ranked number 13. And so from, from go, they had quit. They had given up. And we ended up just dominating and destroying them on our home field. Love that. Very cool. As a leader in this field, what advice would you give to a future leader hoping to embark on a similar journey? Don't, don't play the, the polo game. The most valuable, if I'm going to hand my resume off, the most valuable line that I have in there is like apprenticeship with Rafael Ruiz. So it was four months where I learned more information than, than I could have at six years of school or, you know, six years of coaching. So it was, um, most valuable piece that I have in my career on my resume, but guess what's going to get overlooked for is a UT internship. So it, you want to find someone you need, you need a mentor coach needs a coach. So you need to find someone that's going to invest in you and actually show you how to uh, understand whatever it is you want to do, whether it's sport coach, strength coach, or uh, man, anything, but find someone that's going to challenge you. So not hold your hand through this, but they're going to force you to learn something about yourself. So you survive and come out on the other end, you know, and hopefully you don't hate that person, but they provide what you need, which won't always be what you want. Awesome. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, beats, beats you, are, you are a busy guy, and I'm excited to, that you're willing to share your time with us. All right. Thanks, guys. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.